Welcome to the Property Management Show, where we deep dive into the world of property management and entrepreneurship. Your hosts are Ruby Tepman and Brittany Jones from Four and Half Marketing Agency. Since 2012, Four and Half has helped hundreds of property managers like you get more owner leads through digital marketing. Whether you need help with a website, SEO, social media, video and blog content, online reputation, paid advertising like Google Ads, you name it, we can do it. Visit 4andhalf.com to get your property management company growing today. That's F-O-U-R-A-N-D-H-A-L-F.com. So we recently had a conversation with Ray Hespin, the CEO and co-founder of Property Meld. And in typical fashion, we had such a good conversation that we had to split the long interview into two parts. So in part one, we talk more about maintenance analytics, what that is, and what it can do to a property management company. And then this one is part two, where we talk more about the current uh, shortage in labor for tradespeople, for vendors, what it's doing to NOI, and what property managers can do about it. Like, have you seen... um, data related to preventative maintenance that kind of like surprised you or you were like, oh, I would never have thought that that was connected. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. It actually came to uh, owner retention or investor retention. So again, a lot of the third party property management, yes, there's institutionals, but a large segment is made up of those people that own between one to four units. One of the things that was one of the most startling uh, things that we learned is that Owners in the renewing cohort, so owners that renewed one year, two years, three years, four years, versus those that churned within one year, two years, three years, four years, the ones that renew had a higher maintenance per unit per year rate, highest maintenance performed. So meaning the amount of actions taken on their property that were related to maintenance were higher by like 20%. So we're like sitting there going, well, that's odd. So if you have more maintenance done, retention is better. But if you go with the spend, the actual spend is lower. So if you're doing more action at a lower cost is your ultimate best indicator for renewal. And so then when you go dig into those accounts, the ones that had more and less spend tended to be ones with more preventative repairs. And so it all kind of ties back into kind of that data correlation that if you drive your spend per unit down to a reasonable level, not to zero, and your resident satisfaction is at the level you like, what's the behavior that triggers that is more behavior or uh, more preventative programs. But the amount of work done on a unit per year equals higher retention was probably one of the weirdest moments where I'm like, that can't be right. This has to be wrong somebody ran the data wrong and we had to like go dive into it a little bit. And uh, yeah, so that's like a perfect example. Yeah. And I think you shared, you shared that like statistic um, in our last uh, podcast interview with you. And so I'm, you know, out of curiosity, I wanted to kind of like dig a bit deeper um, into that. Mm -hmm. Knowing that, you know, I follow you on LinkedIn and you talk about how it's just getting more and more expensive, right. To maintain properties um, it's harder to find people to do the repairs because they're so on demand. They're not running out of, of, of jobs. And so their prices are going, it's supply and demand. And so given that, you know, the data says, you know, the more kind of touches you have, the more maintenance activities you have, 
um, while keeping um, the the cost of maintenance per unit as low as you can for the year, but economy, the economy is not making it easy. Like, you know, mm -hmm. do you have any insights related to that? Like, how are property managers still able to do that? So, uh, so I, I'll tell you more, and I, I can't give you the perfect answer about how everybody solves this, but there was just a report released where Invitation Homes, American Homes for Rent are basically giving their year-to-date sentiment and like what they're forecasting for the rest of the year, both in revenue and expenses. And expenses, I forget how much they're going up significantly, and revenue is basically holding steady or slightly decreasing. And so their NOI as a percentage is dropping from like 11% to like 5% in a year. So this is industry-wide challenge. And so then you have to sit there and go, all right, I either can try bolstering revenue or I can try um, basically controlling expenses. And in an economy where tradespeople prices are going up, and so there's really only a couple things you can do. One, um, keep the renters in the unit um, I had an interesting conversation with somebody and hope, hopefully this is relevant. I had a conversation with a brilliant, brilliant person. Um, they were saying they could get a price increase in rent if they got the, the lease to renew. But if the lease went on the market, there'd be inevitably a stagnation or even potentially a price cut. So renewals are starting to be a very, very important part of the revenue generation and expense, right? Because you got to do a turnover. And the maintenance side of things, you have to ultimately find ways to get work into the shoulder months, which is basically your before summer and your after summer. So you have to find a way to magically make work on those one of two. And the only way that you can do that is by doing work that normally happens during the summer in one of those months, you know, for example, HVAC or doing inspections semi-annually that ultimately land on the shoulder months that you can do some of these repairs when the workload isn't as steep. And so those are those are really only the two things um, that operationally people can focus on. Data in itself is not going to tell you like specifically how to do that. It's just know from an operation standpoint, keep residents happy, allow them to renew the lease. That's really important for investors. And then the second thing, get more preventative programs that ultimately land on the shoulder months. That's really good. And so I know that, you know, you keep talking about how like um, you have access to a lot of data uh, with regard to like, you know, residents and maintenance performed on the properties because, you know, property meld has mm -hmm. so many units in its system, but you also have mm -hmm. many tradespeople in your system because that's basically what you do. You, you right, connect both of them. And so any interesting yeah. like insights you've seen patterns emerging on like the tradespeople side? Yeah. So I'll give you probably more qualitative and less quantitative. Quantitative is invoice prices are going up. Speeds of repairs are decreasing as that market's constrained. And as it's relieved a little bit, speed of repair improves. Um, I will tell you the biggest uh, thing that I think a, a lot of people in the industry are having to do is how do you make sure that vendors prefer to work with you and not prefer to, you know, the, um, not put burden on them. Um, so if you even think about three, four years ago, um, I even remember talking to some property management firms that, uh, put like a lot of legal requirements. You had to insure based on the name of us. 
Um, I need you to accept something within two hours or I kick you out. If you don't give me this, I don't pay you. Terms of cert or uh, kind of a terms of service um, type agreement with the vendor. That is all but evaporated. You have to find a way to make it easier to work with you. Um, so one of the things that we care about is vendors really like our platform. I mean, we got around 40,000 vendors in our platform. Taking away some of the stuff that they have to do that they don't make any money uh, scheduling, communication, all those things, the more you can grease the skids on those things and they want to work with you, uh, the better luck you have. Um, we've spent a lot of time researching the vendor network and a lot of people think that, oh, well, I'm just going to give them more work. It's, they have more work than they know what to do with. And one of their largest challenges is finding people to do the work. So you have to find a way to make that same hour more valuable to them and easier for them than the other person. And that's more qualitative, um, which we think we're leaning into, but that's going to be the big war over the next five years is making sure that you have a really healthy vendor network, a uh, really healthy technician throughput, um, because that's probably not going to get any easier from a resource standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so do you think price is the bigger, biggest driver of, you know, vendors preferring to work with a property management company uh, versus another? versus getting their own because they can get their own projects there's just so much work to be had yeah yeah and um i think one of the challenging things is people don't realize realize the retail industry so re when i say retail it's like the consumer so marie or Brittany or myself if we sit there and call somebody we actually pay more for a plumbing job than a property manager does and that's one of the benefits of working with a property manager they negotiate good rates they build relationships. And um, so they have to realize that they're choosing to do this for something. And what is it? Um, one of the big things is they get recurring work, right? Property managers generate a consistent amount of work. They don't have to go hunt for the thing. You're just going to give it to them. They, you, can, you can usually define systems and processes that allow them to not have to like update the property manager on what's going on. Scheduling is really easy, all that sort of stuff, right? And so uh, I don't think I'm probably answering your question, but I think the big thing is you have to grease the skids because the alternative is they go to the retail side, make more money. And so leaning into what actually makes it special to work for a property manager is like continuing to lean on that and not make it a burden. Like non-monetary incentives. Brittany, I should have just said that. You oh. just shortcut like that is perfect. It's all the That's other stuff. here. Um, I taught, I will say I did talk to somebody who helps stand up trades companies and they're like, most of the vendors in our platform, the vast majority have less than 10 employees. These are small operations. They're not these large national. And if you go, why did you start a plumbing company? Why did you start an electrician company? It's because I wanted to go to my kid's soccer game. It's because I want to be able to control my own calendars because I want, I want, I want. And so the motivations of those businesses are different than somebody who is institutionally backed, who's trying to drive a profit number, right? And sometimes it's really hard in property management to not realize that and go, but I'm giving you more work. It's like, yeah, right. but I want to go to my kid's soccer game. And so that control well, the calendar. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I could imagine stuff like, uh, like how regularly does it happen where, a vendor goes to a property and they need access, but the, the renter isn't there or whatever situations. Right. So it's like, I feel like that's something 
that is important to them because then they they miss the kids' soccer game because they were waiting around for somebody to go to the property. Is that like one of the things that would factor into it? That is a all those friction points of so scheduling, and that's one of the things we brag on. Eighty five percent of repairs are scheduled less than four minutes without a phone call. Like they don't make any money doing that. They're chasing people back and forth. So that's one. Updating the property manager. Hey, what's going on? Or having the property manager not having to constantly call them and say, Hey, where are you at with this? Right. That's a friction point, right? Making sure that invoices are sent easily, they get paid at a, in a timely manner. That's all important. So anytime you have those friction points on communication, scheduling, information sharing just makes the life more complicated. And again, when they're able to choose from all the work that they want to do, you have to find a way to make yourself prefer in the realm that they find value. Um, which is they just want to do their job, show up, control their calendar, make money in the hours that they're doing and make renters happy. Um, and so anything that's friction upon that is a huge risk. Yeah. I think it totally makes sense because I feel like just in general, like as a society, and like that's kind of where everybody's moving where it's like you, you want to make good money, but you don't want to have to deal with a bunch of jerks or deal with like, bad schedules and incompetent people or rude people or like, yeah, you know, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. So it makes sense. Yeah. And, and even, you know, we had a good conversation last week around, you know, really, really smart people about isn't a recession looming. There's a lot of people that are probably not going to get that choice, but in the trades, um, the amount of backlog and the short, uh, the shortage of, tradespeople is so drastic, you would have to have catastrophic levels of recession to ultimately do that. So this, even if, uh, even if, or when, whatever your take is, I think a recession is looming. Uh, that's one that is not going to get easier still. So yeah, a little bit of breathing room, but not much. I, out of curiosity, do you have any like personal insight or maybe you've picked it up from other connections? Like, what is the reason that trades are still short? Because I, I know that when we spoke about this during COVID, we we talked about how there's going to be this big kind of like boom of maintenance requests because everyone's kind of waiting until like, you know, they feel safe to report. But I can imagine it's already, you know, you already talked about how like all the backlog from that point had kind of already passed through the system. Um and now there's this like new crisis of like, well, there's just isn't enough labor, but why, why is it? Did a bunch of technicians just retire like during COVID? So, so there's definitely people who shut down businesses during COVID, maybe got different jobs because they got to feed their families or whatever. And, and again, I'm going general hypotheses. So um, okay. take it for what it's worth. Uh, the other thing is there was a massive amount of capital injected into the economy. Uh, Lowe's, Home Depot reporting massive revenue growth from people wanting to do home deep or you know home improvement projects. You had that institutional capital was borrowing money at an astronomical level. Build to rent is a thing now, so you have entire new industry of build to rent, which is also driving demand. And then you take the last part, which is just the pipeline of talent. It is still not cool in America to go be an electrician. Like you're the pressure, societal pressure, and there's plenty of studies on this. Like people would rather 
uh, go and uh, get a psychology degree, go 100 grand in debt still, and go make 40 grand a year. Uh, when there's somebody can go to a trade school for 15 grand and in two years they're making six figures, that societal uh, attitude hasn't shifted. So between those three indicators uh, makes it at least pretty evident to me that there's um, that's what's creating a lot of it. But again, I'm going kind of in hypothesis there, but uh, seems to track. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I feel like so you're telling us we should switch careers too Maybe. and becoming an It's not. I'll I'll tell you, so I, I do big brothers, big sisters, um, admittedly not as much as I should, but uh, my little um, uh, one day was talking about, I was like, are you going to go to school or something? He's like, I'm going to go become an electrician. And I was like, like my immediate instinct was to be like, why don't you go to college? And I was like, I, then I'm thinking about our business. I said, that's actually awesome. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah, Just make sure you go to good school. Yeah. Get, uh, be- I had to curb my own natural thing, uh, right. which was pretty interesting. Yeah. That's cool that you caught it, though, too. And you're like, no, that's great. That's awesome. You should. Yeah. It's going to be two years. Learn under somebody smart. Make sure you know how to do math. But it's not as complicated as uh, as a lot that uh, collegiate systems require. So, Yeah. But that just tells me, right, like, it's going to take a while. Uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because even if we encourage... <clears throat> more like kids now to go to trade school and kind of like fill that gap it's going to take time for them to like be trained and then like um study under like those that are already licensed get licensed grow up yeah Yeah. and so need to how old was this kid well what do we have 10 years so yeah so and i think we've kind of approached it like we're not going to work to solve that um but i think one of the things that's really important is a property meld again forty thousand vendors uh, there's a growing, a significant growing number of vendors that serve multiple property management companies. And so our idea is if we can help these vendors complete more jobs in the same hour, that's a way to artificially inflate capacity, right? With the same resourcing. So we're looking to take an approach that way. They're amazing professionals. And if we can help them get more jobs done in the same hour and make more money and bill more and property managers have more capacity out of that one vendor, everybody wins. Um, so that's kind of the more short-term approaches that we're we're going after. Yeah, because you, you're right, right? They don't get paid for the time that they like drive and they schedule and then they have to go back because people aren't, aren't ready. And, you know, like, I don't know if it's relevant, but I have friends in the home health industry. And it's a similar thing. It's like they're paid for the time they spend treating the patient in their home. Mm-hmm. And so the scheduling, the driving yeah. around, um, and then typically when they are employed, no one like assists them in scheduling and making sure that the patients to see every day are like in close distance. So like even my brother, he used to do the like the the home health thing and he would drive like an hour sometimes to see the second patient, you know, that like, yes, you're reimbursed for the gas and everything, but he would have made more money if he had a patient that was like close by and so even just you know they kept pushing like i wish there was like technology ai that could just like you could just feed all the patients there and they just magically like <laughs> schedule like who's close to each other um are you guys working a on great, creates people a, a great application for ai actually we're not you know there's a lot of hype over ai scheduling is such a great application um are you guys working on that 
there's foundational stuff. So we're looking at different applications of AI um, that are meaningful. And I've talked pretty heavily about it. Data is the big thing that's missing to make maintenance really exceptional um, from an aspect because you have to train these AI models on the data to ultimately make some decisions. But uh, there's a foundational element of we have a lot more vendors that are doing a very large portion of their work on property meld. And when you start to kind of manage uh, more throughput, that's when you can start having meaningful impact. And so there's a lot of cool things we're looking into now. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll start talking about it when I feel like it's getting close. So it's not uh, things that we're spouting off that are going to happen and never come to fruition. That's great. And so I have one final question before we end. Um, and so what is your advice to our listeners who may be scared to look at data because they feel like, you know, it's going to go over my head or it's too overwhelming? Like, how can they get started on using data to help them make decisions, even if they're not data mavens? Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing. So one, we've always designed in the way that you shouldn't be a data scientist to be able to understand what's happening in your business. So that's one. But I would say there's a lot more fear in people viewing their own data and concerns of what they'll find. And I think that's where a lot of people really struggle. Like I'm scared to see it because I don't know. And anybody who's like pulled back the covers on anything is kind of like, what am I going to find? Right. Um, but, uh, there's a great book. Good to great. Jim Collins. Um, talks about uh, great companies accept the brutal truth. So the first and foremost things is just see yourself as it is and know that's a huge step in making your business better. It's okay to know what you're good at and what you're bad at. And I think a lot of people are scared because there's a story they've been telling and now they have to go, does the data tell the same story? And I'm terrified it's not going to. But most importantly, go see, learn about yourself. You will never be a great company if you don't acknowledge the hard truths uh, in your business. So I would say, uh, first of all, any, any data that's worth, worth its weight or whatever is easy enough to read. But I think that's going to be the bigger obstacle of people sitting there going, but, but, but um, just look at it and be, just be knowledgeable that it's okay if you've got something bad. Everything can be fixed. Yeah, I think I think that's really profound, right? I think it's very human to be afraid to realize that we're not as good as we think we are. Um, I think like uh, psychologically, uh, I heard a podcast about how the best athletes are actually um, ally more to themselves than subpar athletes. It's because there's something that happens in our brains when we are very hyper aware of our limitations. So we're like, oh, I'm not going to be able to finish this race. I'm not going to be able to finish this race. And then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy versus people who are a bit more optimistic are like, I'm number one. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then, you know, when there, yeah, when there are moments when they kind of want to give up, you're like, no, but I can do it. I, I'm number one versus people are like, see, like my, my legs are already aching. And then it's like, um, I think like they did the analysis on a bunch of athletes. And if you just look at people's, like, you know, track records and everything. And then they kind of measured like how often they lied to themselves. They found there was a correlation between how much you lie to yourself and how successful you are, which is really interesting. Yeah. And as an entrepreneur and as a lot of entrepreneurs in our industry, like you have to be an overabundance of optimism to like grow a business out of nothing, right? But there's a point where it's like, okay, 
I've got to just see myself for what it is and just know where the areas are and know what to work on. And that's a tough transition speaking from personal experience. And, um, and maybe the reason I'm saying it's hard to look at the data sometimes is because we've had to go through that journey ourselves and be like, what are we actually good at? And what are we really crummy at? And are we willing to accept the answers that data is sharing with us? And that actually takes a little, that took a little bit of growing up for us to do. And so maybe I'm, maybe I'm just projecting and maybe that's not the biggest challenge, but I know for us, uh, that was a, that was a big, uh, challenge. Like, Hey, it's okay. If it's bad, let's just be honest what it is. Cause then you won't know how to improve, right? If you don't know if it's yeah. bad, then you don't know if you need to change something. <clears throat> yep. We'll excuse it away. Yeah. Can't, can't change what you can't, you can't measure. Well, really appreciate you spending time with us today, Ray, to talk all about maintenance analytics. And that's all we have for this episode of the Property Management Show. As a reminder, this podcast is brought to you by Four and Taft Marketing Agency. Since 2012, we have helped hundreds of property managers like you grow their businesses by getting more owner leads from digital marketing. Whether you need help with your website, your SEO, your online reputation, video and blog content, social media, pay-per-click advertising like Google Ads, you name it, we can help you. Visit fourandhalf.com to learn more. That's F-O-U-R-A-N-D-H-A-L-F.com. And if you have any feedback, suggestions, you know, feel free to email marketing at fourandhalf.com. We would love to hear from you. And if you are enjoying our show, please show us some love by leaving us a review on your favorite podcast app. Thank you so much and see you next time.